The Dice Man Cometh! Good evening, everybody out there in podcast board gaming land. This is Dice Man Leon here with The Dice Man Cometh on episode 308 for Australia, nay, the Southern Hemisphere's favourite and most long-running board game podcast, all about board games, card games, role-playing games, and all that fun stuff in between. I am joined, as I am every fortnight-ish or so, by Mr. Garth. How are you, Mr. Garth? I'm very good and very damn cold. Thank you very much for asking. There is snow on the mountains down here in little old Hobart. Yes. And it is funny, Leon, that you mentioned the Southern Hemisphere's presumably biggest and brightest and most successful and best looking board game podcast because we are not just based in Australia tonight and that's a very exciting prospect. Yes, we've gone international. We've gone all over the giant ocean to about... How long is that ocean divide? A couple of hundred metres? It's not very far, is it? <laughs> Look, it's pretty special. Having been to, to these particular islands a, a fair few times, it certainly does take a little while and usually I've been having to fly a business class... Which has been horrible. But anyway, we are very privileged and very happy to be joined by a young Mr. Shem Phillips from Garfield Games, who is possibly one of the most well-known recent designers to come out of this side of the hemisphere, Leon. What do you think? Oh, I'd say so, because all our games haven't been published yet. We've got like a hundred of them sitting there with publishers all around the world. They just haven't got a chance to put them out yet, which is weird. Yeah, well, look, what we better do is cut to the chase and yep. stop Shem just looking more and more uncomfortable on this three-way Zoom call and introduce Mr. Shem Phillips. It's so nice for you to join us tonight. Thanks for having me. I'm just quite uh, honoured that you said I was young. That's a great compliment, <laughs> so thanks for that. Well, you're welcome well. to be part of the beard group, so that's excellent. And, and Leon, try as he might, you'll still be the baby face one with just that little bit of bum fluff. Yes, and I was going to quickly mention that the whole thought of any of us being young has absolutely gone out the window because do you know what I did yesterday Garth? Did you do your back? No no that was last week <laughs> <laughs> but what I did yesterday was and you wouldn't believe it I sat in my house while I watched a group of workmen that I'm paying uh, do some modifications to my driveway and my tiles in my house while I was putting together World War II miniatures and arranging the new Agatha Christie box set book collection that I just received. Well, there you go. So you are officially eligible for a seniors card. Yes. So any idea of us being young, hip and with it has absolutely uh, gone out the window uh, until we mention TikTok and then they'll come running back. Well, there you go. (laughs) Now, speaking of board games, Leon, as you were, we should talk about board games with Shem because he knows a thing or... 1.3 1.3 million things about board games because Kashem, <laughs> I don't think I've spoken to anyone as rich in board gaming as you, mate, looking at the amount of money that these Kickstarters of yours continually get to, to take out of people's wallets. Mm. But let's go back to the very beginnings of, of you as this board game designer. Now, my little bit of research tells me Garfield was, was founded by yourself in 2009. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. Excellent. But, and but no no one was playing board games in 2009. What are you, what are you talking about? That's also about? correct, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so similar to how we started a podcast just because we thought it would be fun, is this why you started Garfield too? Yeah, I think at that point, and I didn't know anything about the board game community that, that did actually exist back then, um, 
So I just had, I just knew games like Scrabble and Monopoly and those fantastic games. Yep. Um, and I wanted to make my own game. So that's how it all started for me was I'm going to make a game and it ended up being like a family style roll and move kind of game. Um, and oh. through that, I discovered the kind of community that we were now part of. I was about to ask how successful was Scrabbleopoly, but obviously you've <laughs> you come up with an even better idea. So well done. Thanks. So look, is it fair to say that it all started to, to change for you when you put your first Kickstarter up and, and people started paying attention? Yeah, definitely. That's, um, I mean, we didn't have Kickstarter till whatever year it was. Um, for 2014, I think it was, Cape mm-hmm. New Zealand. Um, that's when I, I actually, I was going to do my, I was going to do my last game. I've been doing like making little card games and board games for like six years, um, just on my own, like a, like a hobby craft project kind of thing. And I just thought to myself, I'll just do one more game. Just, you know, let's finish it <laughs> off. This has been a fun hobby. Yeah. So I thought I'd put it on Kickstarter because that was the new thing to do. And I had no idea what I was, I was doing. Ended up losing tons of money because I underpriced everything. Um, but that's basically how I got, how it started to actually turn into what is now a business for me. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So looking at, at this, and I've, I'm just going to focus on these North Sea and, and West Kingdom trilogies, which you're probably sick and tired of talking about. But it's a, you must admit, it's a pretty amazing story that in 2014, Shipwrights gets about $73,000 through, and we'll talk New Zealand dollars so that it's all local currency. We won't convert it to, to US pesos. You then got Raiders, which is 156,000. So it's doubled the previous one. You've then got Explorers, which goes to 324,000, more than doubling the one again. We then go to Architects in 2018, which is $526,000. We then go to Paladins, which is $907,000. And currently Viscounts, $1.3 million. You've got to be happy with some growth like that, surely. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And that was Shem Phillips. We'll let him, let him go. <laughs> I mean, that's so, what it comes like, down to. That was like, if there's, as long as I'm seeing growth, then I know I can keep doing this. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like slow down, then I'm like, I should start thinking about something else. But no, it's, <laughs> it's a privilege, honestly. So, so what do you think is really? And look, we'll we'll start with the North Sea trilogy, I guess. But what is it that's really captured the imagination of of board gamers and have just put this faith in you to to create three good games and and they're outlaying their hard earned cash over, you know, basically three three consecutive years. I think it was really the art of the meat show that got people like hooked at first. I had a strange coincidence where like I, um, well, just a thing that happened that. Um, the day I uploaded the first shot of the Shipwrights player board onto BGG, something went wrong with the images and all the images from the front page disappeared and it was just my picture, which was usually a grid of nine at those those days, was now a grid of one. Yep. It's my picture. So I got lots of attention, a few hundred uh, likes that kind of comments going on about it. Mm-hmm. It was his first game he's ever done. Um, so that was what got the hook, I guess. And then I think that was like, I think I printed about 1,300 copies. So I think I had just over 1,000 backers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what kind of got that uh, that first push. And then I think it was the fact that Raiders was so well received a year later. That's where people started to pay attention. Well, absolutely. I think, I mean, it's pretty fair to say that Raiders got a little bit of attention. Um, you know, there's <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth Spiel nominations. You know, it's not too shabby, you, you, you might say. And it's like, surely as part of, you know, for yourself with confidence. Now, Shem, it's pretty fair to say that getting a Kenneth Spiel nomination is the equivalent of getting a bit of attention in the board gaming hobby. Do you still relive that moment and go, 
wow, that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, that's that was like the defining moment for my company. I think um, I had actually. It's funny. I went to Essen the year before, um, and at, at that time I was working in a print factory. I was like a factory manager, um, doing long, long hours, and then dreaming up games um, while I'm working. Um, but then going to Essen that year and seeing all these kind of publishing partners I had in France and Germany with like three or four, even more staff um, doing this as a job made me think, why can't I do this as a job as one guy? Um, I had no kids at that point. I don't think. Maybe one. <laughs> <laughs> that you know um, of. That you know of. No. Two? Two. <laughs> yeah. Um, old age. Question uh, um, yeah, but it was, it was like seeing that, they go, made me think, I should do this full time. Um, and it was that, I think January, I quit my job. And then got the Kenneth Spiel nomination in in March or April, whatever it was. So that was like, phew, like yeah. <laughs> I made a good choice. Yeah. So. so it was just the right amount of time you could turn to your partner and go, see, see, I was right. <laughs> yeah. You were worried this whole last month. But yeah, and I remember myself when um those nominations first came out and seeing that there was like, hey, by that point, we'd already talked to you on the show once before. We hadn't met you in person just yet. And I was just like, that's awesome. Because we remembered playing um, that trilogy one day all the way through, all three of them. And we remembered thinking that Raiders for us and for a lot of people, obviously, was the standout in the bunch. And to see they get the nomination was just like, you're right, that game. Because there's heaps of games that come out every year that we think, why is this not bigger? Why is this not getting a nomination? Why is not that? And to see actually one that we know of get that recognition it must have been, yeah, an amazing feeling. Was it just, was it something that you thought I might have a shot at this or was it completely out of the blue? No, nah, it was out of the blue. So, um, the, because you can only get the Kinnish Spiel or the Spiel if it's published in German. Um, yep. So it came out that year before that in German. So I think it was a year after the English version. So a lot of people were kind of surprised because it was to them an old game. Um, yes. So I totally get that. Um, but my German publishing partner at Schwerkraft, he said that he was going to, pushed to get it, you know, nominated. Oh, that's, that's cool. Whatever. Um, didn't think it would happen. And then I still remember, I was like, we were, I think we were in bed watching Rick and Morty. <laughs> and then suddenly <laughs> I thought, oh, I'll check my Twitter feed. And then it was like lit up with, with comments about congratulations and stuff. And then that was, just, yeah, I was just shocked. Honestly, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I don't blame you. It's, it's pretty much, you know, it's pretty much up there in a, in a, in a massive board gaming achievement, but then you just go, well, well, I've done this trilogy. I better move on. I'm assuming that this was all a great master plan. It was going to be, you'd have these three games in the North Sea and then start something new and go, I'll be able to make more money and get more backers if I just do something a little bit different in a similar kind of in environment, I guess. You've still got you know, similar art and you've got you know, similar mechanics and what have you, but just taking it up a few notches again. I had no plan going into the North Sea one. That was simply, the, the game originally was called Selandia, which is the, um, the Danish island, which was within, I think it's with the name, no, it's not where the name New Zealand comes from, but it's similar, um, yeah. in Sealand. Um, but anyway, I was going to call it Selandia, and then the little subtitle I had was Shipwrights of the North Sea. And I got um, got the Metro on board to do the art, to these awesome paintings or, you know, pictures of, of rolling mountains and or whatever. And I did some research and realized that the island of Selandia is completely flat. <laughs> and it's known for its great cycleways. So I thought, well, this isn't going to work for Selandia. Um, yep. So I just, I just dropped that name and thought, I just got Shipwrights of the North Sea. That's a kind of cool name. Shipwrights is a unique word. Yep. Um, and then from that, with, with the attention that got, um, people were saying, like, this is great. You can build ships, but can we fight with them? Can we raid with them? And that's what sparked the idea of maybe I should make a second game. Um, and when that one got going, I just thought, 
it just makes sense to do a trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and I think towards the end of that kind of thing, did the expansions for Raiders, uh, I'd had in my mind like what's next because I was starting to see that growth that you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. um, thinking that this could become a, a business because it wasn't at that point, it was still just a hobby. And yeah, I was thinking like, do I, do I completely change the time periods and the graphic design, the art style and do something else like a South Pacific trilogy? And I started working on these on that, but they didn't really work out. Um, and then it wasn't until Sam McDonald, who's a good friend of mine, approached me. He'd never designed before, but he just said, I don't want to step on your toes, but I've got this idea for this kind of worker investment, worker placement style game. Can you check it out? Uh, and so I ran to his place at his flat at the time. He had it scribbled on like a whiteboard with like scissor cut cards and just, you know, mad ramblings of a crazy guy. Um, we played this this game with his, I think he had some stolen bits from my old shipwrights prototype that he had borrowed. Um, plus he'd using like cosmic encounter tokens for the workers. And we played it and it was very rough. Um, but the idea of sewing workers and then people capturing them and put them in prison, I couldn't think of any other game that had that kind of mechanism of investing workers. Um, so I was, I was quite intrigued and we played it a second time a few weeks later. And we went back and forth for like a month, kind of thinking about themes. How how could we change this? Because I really liked it. Um, in the end, we we went back to the very generic medieval city building because it just kind of worked. Um, yep. And that's that's when I realised, all right, we're doing a West Kingdom trilogy. This feels like France. You know, you're building architecture. Yep. Um, and that's that's when I committed to doing like another medieval trilogy at that point. So, is there just generic interest in? medieval and and looking back several hundred years and going that's a period of time or real or imagined you know it doesn't have to be all you know completely factual that just intrigues you and encourages you to do these kind of trilogies i think it does from like a play point of view like when i was playing lego i was always with robin hood and the pirates and the knights and that kind of stuff it's funny though when it comes to like tv shows i'm all about like crime and (laughs) sci-fi i don't watch a lot of like historical dramas or anything well, you don't um, want to take your work home with you. That's the thing. That's when the thing. That's when you're at home, you don't want to be watching like, oh, they've got castles in this too. I've been staring at castles all bloody day. <laughs> yeah, but then it comes to like uh, computer games or board games. I don't really lean towards sci-fi, so it's kind of strange. I don't know why. Just <laughs> We're all different in every, I think it's, I understand, like, I understand how swords work, how shields work, and from a, from a, like, a play point of view, it's easy for me to get into. Yep, um, absolutely. Yeah, you don't have to design big, you know, mechanical beasts or what have you. It's just things go whack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. And then, obviously, we go into the West Kingdom, which, again, as far as the trilogy goes, yeah, it's it's raked in over $2 million as a trilogy from, from Kickstarter backers. That's That's pretty big numbers there for... Is it still, you know, really a one- or two-man show? Is it just you working full-time for your business? Uh, so Sam isn't currently employed, but he gets paid pretty much like an employee yep. um, off his royalties. Um, and my brother is also full-time now doing art for some other stuff we're working on. Well, um, yeah, I saw his name yeah. attached to Raiders of Scythia. Is that right? Yep, that's the one. And he did um, the Circadian stuff, which we're developing more games in, which is sci-fi. Yep. But yeah, so it's just kind of three of us. Um, although my brother's not really a gamer. He's just an artist. So it's mainly me and Sam uh, it's confusing because my brother's called Sam as well. Maybe <laughs> me and Sam McDonald, SG McDonald, yep. that do all the development and stuff of the games. Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, I just, I'll, I'll finish off on this little Kickstarter stuff because obviously, you know, you should be justifiably super proud of the achievements. But for those first time and newer designers, what are the couple of lessons that you've learned either 
the good way or the bad way over over running you know very very successful campaigns over the years what are, what are your tips to people who are just starting out and going this is what you should do in order to extract that money from backers wallets <laughs> there's, there's so much um i think the biggest thing is like pre-marketing so making sure you're ready to go you really got to plan for a big first day um when i've made so many mistakes like lost tons of money in the early campaigns and finally made it back years later. Yep. So I think going into it, knowing that you might lose money is a thing to understand. No matter how much, no matter how much research you do, there's always unknown costs and things. So um, yep. don't risk your house on it or your, you know, your family on it. Um, <laughs> look for a publisher first, if you can, unless you, unless you genuinely want to become a publisher, that's a different story. But if you just want to design games, go to a publisher first, if you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we find we find a lot of people who just they start too big. They don't they don't start small and achievable. Yeah. And, I, and we sort of see it from you know the the podcast side of things where it's you're using that first game or two to to grow your customer base yeah. to get the game that you've designed hopefully in front of enough people who will then play it with their friends and go oh that's really good I want to get on on that gravy train and I want to buy the next version of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a, a smart move. I, I know a few people that have done tried to do big games and they just can't get the momentum to get that much money they need. Mm, yeah, exactly. it's a kind of a weird, silly thing to say, but going on Kickstarter, like with a game that's maybe not even the biggest or not the thing that you're really hoping to get out there is not such a bad thing simply to get people's emails that use yeah. Kickstarter a lot, because I'm sure we're all in the same boat of like, this company's now got my email from backing a small Kickstarter of theirs. And then, oh, I wasn't expecting to back another Kickstarter at the moment. And watch this I have sitting in my inbox. Here we go yet again. And I sh and you should know because you've done that to me several times. So, <laughs> so this is exactly what's happened. Yeah, well, lots of people have got money out of your wallet, Leon. It's nothing special. That's very true. Now, Sham, we need to talk about the box size, mate. Because um, getting the game out once is fine. But, um, you know, how many people have made legitimate complaints to you about the size of the box that your games are coming in? Yeah. Um, Paladins was the one that, that was... Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, it probably should have been deeper. Um, yep. I'm, I don't know if it's a passive aggressive thing against sleeving, but I just, I thought I can fit in there. So yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think if in the, in the future games, if it's like that again, I'd just make the box deeper. Um, yeah. But we, what? we, we have an expansion we're working on for that one. Um, so there will be like a bigger box available. Surely you've just got to take a, a leaf out of the terraforming Mars Kickstarter and just do a big box trilogy yeah, yeah, version yeah. and just, you know, make it Gloomhaven size. <laughs> I really, I want to keep that consistency of the sizes, like at least the, um, you know, the width and the, and the length so that on your shelf, they had the same, the same height or whatever. Yeah. So but going deep is a smart move. I was about to say they do, because I have like many in my Calax, I have a Shem shelf. So don't you go listening to Garth and changing them now. Because it's going to make my shelf look so It'd make more people angry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because it's almost like some of these nerdy folk you just can't please, but we wouldn't go saying something crazy like that now. Never. Well, if you've, got to, if you've got to pick a fight between the box size people and the shelving people, that's not a fight I want to pick the winners of. No. Uh, anyway, look, there's obviously been, you know, some inspiration that you've drawn from, but have you got, you know, designers that you really admire in the work that they do or the different games that they, you know, continually bring out? What, where do you go when you're, you know, having a bad day going, Ugh, I just don't know whether I can move another meeple. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as other designers. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a bunch that are like standing out to me currently. I've been playing a lot of Lacerda. Um, mainly because it was during lockdown, lots of his games are on Tabletopia. Exactly. Um, 
But Alexander Fister is one that stands out quite a bit um, with Grapes and Trail, Maracaibo. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at my stuff quickly. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of German designers that I probably just don't know the names of, but I love their games, like yep. Kisling, Kramer. Yeah, I mean, if I want to just like chill out and play something else, I often play the different genres that I would design. So it might be like, uh, I've been playing a lot of Journeys in Middle Earth and stuff like that, where it's like, these are like a Mary Trash style games that I would never design because it's not my style, but I can enjoy them for what they are. Absolutely. Now, also... I wanted to find out about your involvement with the app side of things. So obviously we've, we've got implementations of your games. So have you had, or did you have a lot of involvement in the, in the implementation of that? So for the, the Raiders app that Diewolf did, I simply just tested it to be sure it was good. Yep. Um, I didn't do any of the development. They did everything, which is amazing because the, I was just blown away by the actual graphics in the game. But for the, we did the solo pack for Raiders. Yep. So I did that with a local friend, actually a good Aussie guy. There you go. Mm-hmm. And he came with his <laughs> See, um, you owe it all to us. Well, hey, do, that's what we, we wanted. Cut the interview off. <laughs> yeah. So he, he's, he designed that just because um, he's an independent uh, developer. Um, and then we're working on a scoring app for all our games as well, which will be free in the um, iTunes and Android. So um, for all our games and future expansions, so making it very updatable. So that, that should be available in a month or two, hopefully. Uh, nice. But as far as like the big implementations, that'll be all direwolf. Um, I've heard rumors that they want to do architects, but they take like a, a year or so of development. So you're a while away. Excellent. So look, we better switch and talk about something new before you, you, you leave. So what are the games that are coming up for, for Garfield that you're wanting to talk about or most excited to let people see and play with? Wow. Uh, so I've got one that's one of my designs, but it's not, through Garfield, which is Shelfie Stacker. That's on Kickstarter right now. Yeah. Um, that's a dice abstract card management kind of game. Very light, family friendly, but still kind of, it's like a Zool kind of-ish um, genre, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, design, it's pub, published by Arcus Games, um, and they are kind of, one of them still a senior designer, concept designer at Weta Workshop, and the other one was a project manager at Weta Workshop. So. Oh, cool. They're very talented, um, good friend as well. So that's not Garfield though. For me, coming up, obviously the release of Viscounts and Raiders of Scythia into retail and Tome Saga. Uh, next year, we're hoping we're planning to release three expansions in the West Kingdom, so one for each game. Yep. Or maybe two for one of the games. Hush, hush. Still <laughs> um, but that'll, that'll include things like big boxes if we need them, maybe playmats if we need them. So we'll just focus on, rather than jumping forward to the next trilogy, we'll just spend some time actually enjoying the West Kingdom. Um, We also have one called Hadrian's Wall, um, which will have a similar aesthetic to Raiders of Scythia, but it's designed by a Kiwi-based designer called Bobby Hill. It's a flip and fill kind of game. Um, So it's pen and paper with some cards, um, but it's very heavy, um, well, medium to heavy, and it plays in like an hour for one to six players. So it's like a real, it's like a, it's got a similar feel to Paladins. So it's very like crunchy. Um, Is that going to be a, a, Two player game or multiple players? Just one to six players. One to six players. That's, yeah. that's big for Hadrian's Wall. That's cool. Yeah, so that's a big one. And then also probably a follow up second game in the Circadians universe, which will be a one to five player asymmetric combat style game. So a bit different mm. for us, but it's real. It's all designed by Sam McDonald and his mate Zach, who's currently living in Italy. So <laughs> we're expanding quite a bit. There you go. So we're in global global business now. Yeah. Cool. Well, look. 
we better let this part of the episode come to an end because Shem, you and I need to talk about another designer and another board game that he has, well, at least melted my brain with. But I think we better cut to a little bit of a break before we do that. Um, so please don't leave your games room. And it is episode 308 of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly sponsored by LFG. If you want to buy some games, or if you just want to check out games, please go to lfg-aus.com.au and we will be back after this break. Hey everyone, it's your angry neighbourhood Scott here. Are you sick of your friendly neighbourhood Leon popping up halfway through the podcast every time and asking you to jump onto Patreon? Well, you know how you can get rid of him. How about you actually contribute to Patreon? Personally, I like to feed a dice man once a year at LFG, and this year I'm planning on feeding all three. But quite frankly, if you don't appreciate the work that the Dicemen are doing, why you want this podcast at all? Why don't you chuck them a few dollars? It's as easy as giving a dollar a month. You won't even know it missing. And of course, you'll be supporting great broadcasting and Australian board gaming. Bye for now. So that was something or other that I put in the edit on uh, with the Dice Men Cometh episode 308 brought to you by LFG Australia. We are still joined by our good friend from across the pond, small pond that is, uh, Shem Phillips and him and Garth are going to talk about a game that I haven't had a chance to play yet because I've been sitting in my house not moving and it looks really complicated and scary. So Garth, to you. Yes, and if you had the chance, I don't think you'd take it anyway. So we are talking about the latest successful Kickstarter that has been delivered to me by Vital Lacerda, and this is On Mars, which felt like it came out not really that much later than Escape Plan, but that's good because you can never have too much Vital. Now, Shem, you and I are the only ones out of this trio of, of conversationalists who have played this game so it's good to be us but before we start talking about it for those of you who know on mars is all about establishing a base on mars it's 2037 you're scientists you're trying to do all the things you're trying to basically turn mars into a robot started you know things have landed and you're trying to make it habitable for people you're trying to get everything up the colony level so that the colony is self-sustaining and you're able to live there. And it sounds really light and simple. Hey, Leon. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like it'd be absolutely it'd be over in an hour, I think. Yeah, no. So in typical Vital Lacerda fashion, and if you go back and listen to how we've explained some of his games, we're not going to really focus too much on the rules because there's not much point. The reason there's not much point is the 24-page rulebook, you'll need to read it a couple of times. You'll then need to watch what is an excellent video from Paul Grogan who will explain how it works. Then you'll probably go back to the rulebook again and then still play it and you'll make some mistakes. Now, that was my experience. Shem, did you nail it first time? You got everything right? I, I built myself up to it. So yeah. I, I had that experience with Lisboa where I watched the video, read the rulebook, watched the video, attempted a solo play online, gave up. <laughs> made the rulebook again, edited another solo one, and finally thought I was up to speed to play a two-player game with someone online, and then eventually bought the uh, the, the physical version. Yep. Um, and we've, we played, Sam and I, during lockdown, played a bunch of games, like um, we played Vinos, Vinyos. Um, yep. I'm sure as long as we played it recently as well. Um, but this one, for me, I think 
after like, I wouldn't say mastering, but after <laughs> at least um, managing to play Lisboa about three or four times, this was a lot easier to learn. Um, yeah, yeah, look, I, I think that's a completely justified statement. I think still to this day, Lisboa has been the one that was the toughest to learn and the toughest to play the first time. I found the second playthrough of Lisboa couldn't really compare to the first version. Now, this one, the first version, the first playthrough was actually fun. And yeah. that is a really good sign for me that Vital is, again, onto his winning ways. Now, just very briefly, the board is made up of, of two main sections. You've got sort of the in-orbit space section, and then you've got the on-Mars section. So depending on the side of the planet in space or on the planet itself, your sort of your lead scientist is, you're limited to only being able to do the actions on that side of the board. And that starts off pretty easy because at the end of every um, round, basically, you've got the shuttle traveling in one way or the other. So you can move freely between the orbit and the surface. But as the game progresses, in, a, in what I think is a really cool mechanic, the shuttle starts to run a lot less frequently. So your decisions become really twofold. You've got to decide what you want to do now. You've got to decide what you want to do for the next couple of turns waiting for the shuttle to turn around. And then you've got to also think about what you want to do when you get on the other side of this this planet into space. Did that melt your brain for a little while, Shem, or is this just water off a duck's back for a master designer? <laughs> Definitely not. I, wasn't, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't find this one like completely brain-burning. Um, yep. But I loved the decision space, though. Like, it was crunchy and it was tough, and that's, I enjoyed it, though. Um, whereas I think my first plays of Lisboa, I still enjoyed it, but it was like, it hurt. And it felt <laughs> a bit like work. And it was more like I was just scouring rule books the whole time or the cheat sheets. Whereas I think, like, the stuff that Ian's done for the, the graphic design on, on Mars is so, so good and it's so intuitive that you barely actually have to look at the rule book for, for icons and things in this game. It's just a different game. I mean, Lisboa has so many different clergy tiles and like other tiles that there's like 50 or more, 100, I think. And you have yeah. to, oh, what does 89B mean? You know, <laughs> whereas in this game, that's not so much of a thing. You can actually just see what's in front of you and, and know the icons and then know how to play quite quickly. It, no. Exactly right. And obviously, Lisboa has those little individual player books, which are really, really useful to get you through a, a bit of that iconography. But you, you're spot on, Ian's done a, again a pretty amazing job with this. So look, the game's going to start, I don't know, I, I found really quite slowly, you, you, you're building up, you're trying to gain your resources, which are, you know, you've got water and you've got leaf and you've got air and you've got minerals and you've got batteries and you've got people in this little cycle of, you can't have one without the other because they all need each other to form this self-sustaining colony. You're going to start on level one. And again, in, in just a cool little mechanic, you want to be building infrastructure but you don't want to just be building the one type of infrastructure that you may like you might you don't want to build five water plants because the colony doesn't need that you've got to build things in a bit of a an even and orderly way which again allows you to have those planned moves at a couple of steps in advance but as long as you've got the resources and as long as you've managed to move your person to the right side of the board at the right time Still just enough of an itch there to scratch, don't you reckon, Shem, where you've got, to, you've, you've got to really just be thinking those couple of moves ahead for the whole game. Yeah, I think that's one thing that Vital does well is he has like little races within every game. So like, like you said, with the, what, the, what the planet wants, the, the LS something or other. Yeah, the LSS, the life support yeah. system. So you know there's like, oh, there's those two things are needed right now and they'll get 
whatever it is, extra points or something if you do them. Um, so there's everyone at the table knows, oh, those are priority, let's do those. So you're kind of racing for these little mini goals throughout the entire game. That's what creates that tension of like, oh, I might beat them to get that. Or, or there's like the scientist cards, like I'll beat them to get that scientist card or all the resources that are available on the other side of the board, stuff like that. Exactly. Um, yeah. And just something simple like if I build the wrong thing at the wrong time, I will score precisely zero points for that. So I've just expended resources and not probably just one turn, a couple of turns building up to it to build a thing that will get me nothing. That's painful, right? Yeah. And that's, I think it's one of, one of his tricks too, is like, I find I did have found a lot of his games that it's hard to know where you're getting points from. You actually have to, <laughs> have to kind of step back from the table and think about, hang on a sec, how do you get points? And, you know, I think I have, now that I've taught this by a few times, I'm always telling them, like, wigs are points, all right? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, this is where you get them from. Like, you've got to be very clear about where you get your points from. Yeah. And look, I, I do like the fact in the rule book that, you know, he's always giving little strategies and tips and, you know, just making sure that he's at least guided players to go, this is what you, you really should be focusing on. You should be focusing on making sure that you've got the crystals because they're going to really help you do some extra things or just, just spread it out a little bit. He's, he knows that his games are hard and he knows that people are going to have a lot of trouble with getting a good score for a while. So I like the fact that he's putting those little tips and tricks in. It's, it's something, you know, maybe more designers should do. Yeah, and he had those, I think they were in Lisboa as an option, which I never used, but they had those cards. It's like, here's your first goal. Yep. And if you achieve that, you get two other goals and then you can achieve both of those goals. Um, or you one of them, the other one comes a resource or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's really good because it just kind of coaches players through it. I know that, um, I think Scythe did the same thing. It kind of exactly. gave it a, a cheat sheet of like, you should try and do these things. On your first four turns, try and achieve this. And it kind of teaches you, it coaches you through the, the first few rounds of the game, which is good. Yeah, well, look, in this one where... You know, it's not open world, it's sort of open Mars, but you're you're not given any direction unless you choose to start with these little cards that you can choose, and, and you've, you've mentioned those as well. So for first-time plays, it's definitely something you want to suggest because I don't think players at the start will appreciate how important turn order is and starting on whichever side of the planet, the orbit or on the planet, it's, it's going to really affect the style of gameplay that you will have, which is going to last for several hours. Our first game went for three or four hours and... Must be said, there was a fair bit of teaching in that and a fair few drinks and a, a fair few exasperations of going, ah, I'm on the wrong side of the planet. But that's what Vital brings out in you. Now, Leon, have you anything that you want to say about this? Have you done any research about anything to do with On Mars? I have. Now, I was supposed to play this the other night with you guys, and I must say I did pike at the end of it because I had rather a busy day. So that yeah, is my bad. sleepy. I was supposed to play it, um, but I did watch um, the the video by Mr. Grogan that was 45 odd minutes long. And I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, that it's just a complex is not really my cup of tea when it comes to board games, because more when I play board games, it's not necessarily about the games. It's more about the experience and the people themselves. And as I was watching the video, I mean, obviously the, every, every game has its place and every game of complexity, look at those things like the coin games and, things like that, that there's lots of different things that go for hours and hours, whether they're complex or not. But as I was watching the video, I was kind of following it and I was like, okay, so there's these actions on this side of the board, those ones on that side of the board, depending on what planet you're on. Okay, cool. And then he started talking about the executive actions, which are about 20 other actions. I was just like, you've got to be kidding. This is 10 games in one. What's going on here? So 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to judge a game that I haven't played, but just from that alone, it it absolutely terrified me. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, Leon, no one will ever accuse you of being complex. Uh, thank you. Thank go. you very much. But I do so look, like his games, and I do like um, Ian's design, especially on lots of different stuff. And just looking at the board, the board looks lovely, and I'm sure the components are lovely in person. And it wasn't the complexity of like, oh, okay, so there's the actions on this side, that side. You go there, you can do that, you can do that. That was kind of fine. I did kind of, as the video was going along, thought, this isn't overly that much. And it's not so much that it was complicated, because I don't think it was. It was just that there was so much. It was that there's, like most games, and, you know, Shem would know this from playing a lot and designing a lot of worker placements, you go to a place to do a thing, which you might need a resource for, or you might get a card, or you might get whatnot. Whereas this game, it seems like you go to a place where a thing happened, which then leads to 10 other things happening. And that's the thing that kind of did me in. I was just like, right, I was with you when you were like, go here to get a thing. Cool. Most games would end there. <laughs> but this just kept going to, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and this. So once you wrap your head around it, I'm sure it was probably enjoyable. I thought so. I really liked it. So again, it's a game that, as you say, Leon, each individual action is not inherently complicated. Uh, and that's good. But it's the reason why you want to do it and when do I want to do this action that is the key. And, you know, I know I've, I've spoken with Martin Wallace about this kind of stuff and, you know, he's, he's pretty highly regarded for making mechanically simple games that are interesting decisions every turn. With Fatal, each, each action you take, I find, is mechanically quite simple and straightforward, but it's the interconnectedness of all the actions and the timing of them that is what's going to lead you to success. And that's something I'm still not quite getting yet. Yeah, I mean, the weight of a game can come either from rules or from complexity of decision-making. Um, I think uh, Vital hits both of those often. Uh, so the rules are definitely heavy and the decision space is heavy. Um, with our games, we try and keep the rules as light as possible, um, but we are slowly trying, you know, like, <laughs> can't help ourselves. But um, <laughs> well, that's where the, expansions comes into it. Like your games yeah, have yeah. been, you start off at a base area where it's like, this is really enjoyable. You can play this in less than two hours and kind of go from there. Whereas then you can add the expansions and kind of go, right, we can make it a little bit more complex and, you know, go. Yeah, and I think I, I naturally lean towards wanting to make games deeper from a decision space. Really think. Um, and I think with On Mars, I think that the, the rules heaviness has actually eased back quite a bit from, from his other games, um, his more recent games at least. But the decision space is still where the crunches of the game, which is why I think I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is that there's an interesting discussion because, like I said, everybody has their kind of preference and what they're looking for. Like, I could argue that with On Mars, just from the video that I watched, I could argue that I wish the idea of this game sounds great and all, all well, but I kind of wish it was half as complex and then an expansion was added later that made it up to, say, the game that it is now. But that being said, 10 years ago, before board gaming was in the state that it is in now, people would go what do you mean? I'm going to buy a game that's half finished? An expansion says to me, if this was so good, why wasn't it in the base game? So it's a whole different kettle of fish in the way that you can think about it. So again, who knows? I don't know, because I didn't play it. <laughs> Such insight, Leon. Yeah. So, so Shem, when are you going to design something like this? <laughs> no, don't. You've got, your, you've got your lane. You're very good at your lane. Stick in your lane, brother. Yeah, I think we, we, I think we hit that medium weight. That's our kind of goal. I think Paladins was the one that uh, pushed it past what we've done before. Yep. Viscounts is 
similar in a way, but it's a different kind of heaviness. It's um, it's funny because we've got some people that struggle with it and some that find it very simple because it's in Paladins, you're going, uh, you kind of think your, your turns are very simple. It's like one action, one action, one action. In Viscounts, you're doing about five or six things in one turn. It's like you play a card, which might have an effect. Then you move and then you take your action and you might hire, you might not. Be other actions happen throughout your turn. So it's a friend, my friend Bobby, who's actually designed um, the Hadrian's Wall game that we're working on. Um, he he just his brain starts to melt in Viscounts because he's thinking of every possible thing he could do. Yep. Rather when I when I play it, I go, what do I want to do? Can I do it? Yep. Um, so it depends how you think. I think. Yeah. Well, this could be another reason why, obviously, I found this game intimidating. Garth will know that my strategy in games is to often have so many of my own turns planned out in advance. It's just the way my brain works. And in everyday life, I plan things to the nth degree to make things easier for myself because the seven Ps, proper preparation and planning prevents piss poor performance. Something that I've lived for for very, very long. Whereas in On Mars, I couldn't do that because A, I was just trying to remember how the game basically worked. I felt I couldn't even figure out what I was going to do on my turn, let alone the next turn. And that's probably why it put off kind of my not necessarily enthusiasm for playing it but yeah it was that's why i found it so scary yeah i think that's fair enough and definitely playing it on a school night wouldn't help it's a game i think (laughs) especially for the first time put aside your saturday afternoon so you don't have to go anywhere because it it will maybe not burn the brain completely but it'll use up a fair old chunk of it and it will it will cost you time which i find incredibly enjoyable playing vital's game so i'll happily do it but it's not something you want to crack out at nine o'clock on a wednesday night that's for sure Mm. So, look, what did you think about it, um, Shem? You know, comparing it to the other Vital games that you've played, where would you place on Mars at the moment? It's, it's different. I think it's probably the top. Um, so, I think I gave it a 10 out of 10 on BGG. Yep. Um, but Lisboa has a 10 out of 10 for me as well. Um, because I think there's a, there's a slight love for Lisboa because of how complex the rules are. It's yep. like the game I should enjoy, but I do kind of thing. <laughs> um, whereas I think on Mars, I think it's, it's close to a, it is a, in my opinion, there's nothing, like when you play a game as a designer, I you often think like, what like what would I change? Um, and to be honest, from my point of view, I'd probably streamline stuff because it's just what I do. Yeah. But I don't think I would change anything in on Mars. Whereas in Lisboa, there are probably things I would simplify because whenever I'm designing, I'm thinking, does, does this extra, extra complexity and the rules it requires, do those rules pay off as far as like the enjoyment of the game? So, Rules versus kind of like what you get out of it. Um, yeah. So and with I, I on Mars, think, I think it, those rules actually do improve the game. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Lisboa, there was certainly an element of, in order to do a thing, I need to have successfully done that thing and that thing and that thing before. Does it make the enjoyment of placing that building finally down, you know, much more worth it? So I, I think that's a fair enough comment. But yeah, look, I think the look of this game on the table it is amazing with the table presence. Again, the quality of the production, which speaks to obviously the success his games are having on Kickstarter as well. And the focus on componentry is just outstanding. Just the little meeples that are people and well, astronauts and rockets and rovers and other types of um, machines and buildings. There's a million different types of shapes and sizes and they all work together. They all have a place. You can pack this game up, Shem, just saying, you can pack this game up really easily 
in the beautifully designed custom inserts. Where's the fun of that? <laughs> <laughs> if it's not worth a discussion on BJG, it's not worth talking about. That's right. So look, yeah, I I must say this is probably the Vital game that will hit the table more frequently than it, like certainly more than Escape Plan. Escape Plan, I think, was okay, but I don't think it was near the caliber of the Gallerist. Um, on Mars and, and Lisboa. I think they're certainly up there for, for me in the best games. And uh, I, I don't know if I, what order I could put them in. They all are different enough to make it absolutely justifiable that you have them on your shelf. But each one's going to cost you three or four hours of your time. So you want to pick and choose wisely, I think. Yeah, I think if I could have just one of his games, it would be on Mars. Quite an easy choice. Yeah. There you go. Well, that's where we need to end this review of Vital Lacerda's On Mars from Garth and Shem with, with no insight from Leon. Yep. That's how we roll. All right, it looks well, pretty, gotta... Ian. Well done, mate. Exactly. We better <laughs> cut to another little break before we come back and wrap this baby up with something from Leon. So it's Dice Men Cometh, sponsored as always by LFG, and we will be back after this something something. Hello, everybody. It's your friendly neighborhood Leon here. Just a quick break in the action to remind everybody how you can interact with the Dice Men. Of course, we are on all those social medias. So things like your Instagrams, your Facebook, your Twitters. We're on all of them at Dice Men Cometh. You can also email us at thedicemencometh at gmail.com. That's a great way to get in touch with us for things like asking any type of questions, but also sponsorship. We've been doing that for several years now with various different promotions and ads, and you can be involved in that too if you like. Also, if you wish to help the Dice Man Cometh, you can get onto iTunes and chuck us one of those cheeky five-star reviews. It helps people from around the world get to listen, and we've met some great international listeners because of that. So the more you can do that, the merrier. And if you would like, we also have our Patreon. You can go over there and chuck us a few bucks, completely up to you. Even if you threw us a dollar a month, you would not notice out of your bank account, but we certainly would. If everybody listening to my voice did that, we would be happy as Larry. And we use that money to good effect. We use it to get to various different conventions all around Australia. It ain't easy getting around this big old country that we have, but we manage and we do it because we want to meet you and play as many games as possible. Or you could jump over to redbubble.com, chuck in the Dice Men Cometh, and have any of our merch with our logo on it. We've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, there are mugs, there are heaps of cool stuff over there. I've got quite a bit of it, and it all looks grand. So, with all that being said, thank you very much for listening and supporting us over the years. We absolutely love doing this show, and hopefully we'll be doing it for a long time to come, and your support is one of the main drivers of that. So feel free to get in touch about anything to do with board gaming or anything whatsoever. But enough of my chit-chat. Back to the action. And there you go. That was another with whoop, 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 uh, with the Dice Men Cometh on, not on a radio station at the moment, but live from our respective lounge rooms and games rooms. Now, Leon... You have done a whole bunch of research on something while Shem and I were talking about on Mars. What exactly do you want to talk about? I absolutely haven't. I've done the most half-assed of half-assed research ever, possibly in the history of the show. I just wanted to talk about... Now, obviously, when we were back in the radio studio and doing the show on a weekly basis, we did our Kickstarter update, which Mark was a big fan of, putting his little Kickstarter sting in and whatnot. But since we've moved to a fortnightly format for the time being we kind of haven't had a chance to talk about much Kickstarter because the campaigns are generally over by the time we first mention them. So that being said, all the things I'm about to mention 
will nearly 100% be over by the time this episode comes out. But <laughs> I did think that they were worth mentioning because especially now during this last couple of months, uh, nearly nearly 100% of any board games on Kickstarter do have that kind of late pledge kind of system going on. So you can get there, you can get to their website and kind of go from there. So I just wanted to mention the fact that there's been some monstrous games on Kickstarter for the last couple of months. And obviously Shem's got some stuff on there of late and even right now. So we're going to talk about that in a second. But I just wanted to talk about them because the last time we talked about Kickstarter was when uh, Frosthaven was up. So that's how long ago oh, wow. it was, which was, what, three months ago? So before all this kind of craziness even began. We haven't really talked about Kickstarter since then. So I just want to talk about the stuff that has taken my money over the last month or two. So the I must say, as a as a follower of you on Kickstarter, I get these little alerts when you, you spend money. <laughs> yeah. You make me poor just looking at the emails that you've signed up for just because yeah. it is a shopping list of of spent money. Yes. But I have I must say, in the past I did kind of buy lots of stuff on Kickstarter, which I'm still doing, but I'm very much making use of the function of the give them a dollar now, take care of it in the pledge manager later kind of situation because, yeah, the last month or so has been a bit a bit hectic. All right, well, you better that. start uh, rattling off some names, Leon. Yes, okay. Well, the big one that's launched like yesterday was with um, Terraforming Mars. You guys are talking about your On Mars. This is another On Mars. So this is... You've got to think the final thing that's going to come out for Terraforming Mars, you would <laughs> believe, which is just, it's not even a game. It's just bits, but lots of bits and lots of bits that lots of people want. And it's just the big box for Terraforming Mars, which has all these cool little 3D elements for the game, as well as a big box that can fit everything into it. And I think like the day that it launched, it already, you know, obviously it hit its goal. That was never in any question but it just skyrocketed straight away. What do you think of the look of it, Garthy boy? I, I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I dare say, <laughs> look, I did see a little tile on it and look, you know, obviously going back to when it was first produced, it looked thin and flimsy yep. and the production quality was not at all representative of the popularity of the game that it became. So oh, no, not boring. Some people would look at that board and just get up off the table and walk away from the table. Exactly, which is your <laughs> first experience. So, look, the game was. itself I loved. I really enjoyed the game and I've enjoyed several of the expansions. So, look, for completionists, it's a no-brainer. People are going yes. to back this to make the beautiful game that you can play dozens, if not hundreds of times to get different experiences. What, what do you think, Shem? As a, as a designer, are they just, you know, milking the cash cow or are they um, you know, actually going to be adding enough to make it worthwhile? I actually haven't looked at it. Um, I've my friend; he owns everything in the in that kind of world, um, mm. and he's three printed his own inserts and little tiles for the landscape and all sorts. So he's not going to back it apparently because he's already upgraded his set <laughs> completely himself. So that's what I mean, he says. Yeah, I guess if if you're not doing that yourself, you're not three D printing and not doing your own stuff. Yeah. This is probably a dream, I guess, for that yeah. many cards and that many components. Exactly, and if it's got the opportunity to get all the uh, expansion into one big box people like that i like that so uh, i think it's no surprise that whatever funding goal it's set is completely smashed out of the water in no time flat yeah so we move on there to uh, one that finished about a month or so ago and that is Ankh from uh, eric lang and cool mini or not so kind of the spiritual successor to rising sun which was the spiritual successor to blood rage so kind of the third in their trilogy uh big egyptian crazy monsters took 
quite a few hundreds of my dollars, but <laughs> I'm more than happy to do that because those games, they're not just big mini fest with horrible games wrapped around them. Rising Sun and Blood Rage happen to be quite good games that also look amazing. So I'm expecting something good out of Eric and, you know, the Kickstarter went really well as to be expected. Oh, look, I think if you're going to be into these games, you need to back them at Kickstarter level because as soon as you see someone who has backed it at the higher level and it's all on the table, you go, that's what I want. That's the version I want. If you want this big, you know, clunky mini game, which they are, you want to have the extra bits and pieces that you can get by being a Kickstarter backer. I think it's completely fair enough. I, I still think seeing the fully kitted out Rising Sun on the table with all the Kickstarter exclusives, it's sexy. It is a great game and looks really good on the table. Mm. Shem? Yeah, I, and I, I enjoyed Blood Rage. Um, I really enjoyed Rising Sun. Yeah. Um, but then I looked at the, this, this Kickstarter page and it just didn't grab me. So I'm very keen to play it though. Um, yep. So I'm hoping that one of my friends gets it. We'll see. <laughs> I'm very glad that you mentioned that because I was kind of in the same boat myself because I don't think it looked overly that amazing, especially compared to those, uh, which is a bit sad. But I didn't. I knew I'd kick myself if I didn't uh, back it because I still expect the quality of the game to be good. However, good that you mentioned that to bring it up so I didn't have to be the first one to bring it up because speaking of something that I want to say straight away that I did back, but I was not that overly impressed with, which is a weird combination to say. And that is uh, the new edition of Comet, which has just finished on Kickstarter today. I think the money came out of my bank account. Now, this is a game that, for me, kind of started my dudes on a map, cool minis kind of, not obsession, but started with me getting these games nearly seven or so years ago now. A game that I really liked. Again, that was a spiritual successor to Cyclades, a game that everyone is normally a big fan of, especially young Garth. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring it up, and I hope you guys had a quick look at at least the Comet Kickstarter at some point over the last month, is that it's an upgraded version. So just a 1.5 version of the original. I think that every single thing about this Kickstarter, be it the graphic design, the components, everything, I think all of it looks worse than the original game. <laughs> yeah, but I bad. knew... I knew if I didn't back it and I got and saw somebody with it and actually saw it physically and it changed my mind, I would kick myself. So I just wanted to see. Did anyone else feel the same? And I mean, I can tell you from now, the Kickstarter raised, I think, just under a million dollars, which is, you know, not a bad thing. But for a game like that, with minis of that thing, and for a game that's got that much prestige over the years, it should have made so much more. But it didn't, because it didn't look that good. <laughs> no, I, I agree, and I looked at it because I'm a massive fan. I've got everything Cyclades right there, and I've yep. got a foam core insert. I don't have many of those, and I've got Inish, and I, I just love the idea of Kemet, and I've enjoyed every every game I've played. But for me, I would still rather play Cyclades over Kemet any, any single time. Mm-hmm. And I was going to buy it just out of completionist. I want to have, have it on my shelf. But then I go, why do I need to do that when I already know several people within a couple of kilometers of me who've got it? So yeah, it didn't it didn't spark any joy in me, this yeah. version anyway. Shem? So someone that's a big fan of you've done very lots of good Kickstarters, Shem. It looked like garbage, didn't it? What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, here's the harsh part. I didn't even look at it because I yeah. don't like the game. <laughs> don't you? Well, <laughs> well my 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 what do you want to call it? 
the thing about me is I suck at area control games. Like I just, I'm just bad at them. For some yeah. reason, I get, I get picked on constantly, and I always lose them. And I don't enjoy them. <laughs> so I, I didn't enjoy Kemet when I played it at all. Cyclades. So it's, and I, I hate like with a passion, almost slight passion. Um, Cosmic Encounter. So whereas oh, no. Sam McDonald loves it. It's one of his favorite games. So and he loves Cyclades. He's only he's played Kemet. Um, but it's just, I think I suck so much at those games that I don't enjoy them. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, I, that's, yeah, some people are just like that. If you do, just do, do that well at them, it can very much tar. But um, yeah, this oh, was a funny. this is was a massive disappointment for me from just the way that it looked. And I'm not surprised that they didn't actually make that much money in the end. Uh, just a few others to quickly mention before I mention the main one. And then we mentioned all of Shem's lovely stuff. Uh, Tiny Epic Pirates. Those games always do well. And who doesn't like pirates? So I backed that. Yep. Uh, Lords of Vegas is a game that I always like the look of. Never had a chance to see a copy in physical shelf. It was a 10-year anniversary, so I backed that. So Good, good excuse as any. Yes. But the one I wanted to talk about, which is the reason why I did an extra 12-hour night shift at work the other week <laughs> to pay for everything, it is one that's coming out of my bank account very painfully in about two days from recording right now. It is the new Nemesis uh, lockdown version so an expansion which is a complete standalone it's basically just another version of nemesis on a different with a different map as well as heaps of different expansions that you can add to the original and all sorts of other bibs and bobs it was a game that i think last year was in the top one or two or three of nearly all of our games of the year or close yeah, to it um and it's taking all of my money <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and I'm quite happy for it to take all of my money because there's f only several games that I would like to have. You know, there's never going to be a collector's edition of Nemesis because they look so good to begin with. So I don't mind as much. And I must say, I have not even bothered looking at the Kickstarter because within about 30 seconds of it going live, yep. both Leon and Mark had backed it. So I <laughs> knew that I can have a look at some point down the track when there's a box sitting on the table going, oh my God, it does look so good. Just one box. You think it's going to be just one box? Are you? I have no idea. Mind? Could be five. It's going to yeah. It's going to be more than five. I think. <laughs> um, have you played or seen Nemesis, Shem? Yeah, I've played Nemesis twice and loved it. Like it's what it does. It does perfectly. Um, yeah. But I that price tag that I was like, no, nah, I can't justify that. That's how many hundreds you would have spent on getting that the new version of it, which well, I know I, that I, w I would have loved. But yeah, yeah. no, I want I, someone else to buy it and I'll play it. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty common story, isn't it, Shem? You just need that one other friend who's so addicted who's going to buy it. That's why we're friends with Leon. Yeah, well, like I said, I legitimately did an extra shift at work, but that, for me, is fine. That's one 12 hours that this is a game that I'll play multiple times, hopefully, at, throughout my life and get the enjoyment out of. And it's one of those games that, like I said, it's going to take pride and place on my shelves and just look absolutely amazing. So it's a lot of money, but well worth spent i think uh and then there was this other game that i backed called viscounts of the west kingdom again the kickstarter looked rubbish but i backed it anyway it's pronounced viscounts leon viscounts yeah i couldn't yeah. even pronounce it they sent me an email i was like apparently i backed something of theirs before and i was just like what's going on here uh what do you think of that Garth? <laughs> i didn't even look at the kickstarter to be honest because i didn't have to leon yeah no <laughs> that's fair enough uh sham what do you think of that one I think I missed that one. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think you did miss that one. That is, yeah. look, obviously it's a nice little milestone passing that million dollar mark. How's that all going? It's going good. Uh, we're in manufacture now. Yep. Um, there's, I think there's like 10 languages being done. 
Um, so it's a big undertaking for me. Yeah. Um, but no, it's 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 going well. We've got that plus Tome Saga, which is like the kind of the the expansion to the whole trilogy kind of game box thing, which includes co-op modes for all three games as well. So that was a nightmare in itself, development wise. But um, yeah. <laughs> we got through it. We got through it. <laughs> well, I was just thinking. You say with all the different languages, that wouldn't be too bad for your games because there's next to no text because you guys are the kind of nearly the king. Again, apologies to Eno Tool of iconography in your games that, that you can look at it and go, I know what that resource is, I know what that symbol is, and can go from there. So hopefully it's just the rule books that all the languages are kind of giving you jip with. Yeah, I think Ian is the king. So I'll I'll take the duke. Yeah. Um it's yeah, I mean we I keep that in mind when I'm designing games now or like designing the graphics behind them. It's like, well these have to be translated at some point. So let's make it as simple as possible. But I think you um, need you want a bit of flavor. Like we I always say the names of the characters, the names of the places on the board. Uh, I, I really enjoy that every time I've played, particularly the the architects and paladins, just the consistency makes it so easy to have learnt one game and be able to then play two, even though obviously mechanically there's quite a lot of difference. I, I, I really enjoy that aspect to your games. So and it's thank purely you. because I I can't do much else. Like that, I'm very limited in what I can do graphically. So <laughs> like that is why. So it's like the um, I'm watching that movie with um about uh oh, Man in Black. What's his name? Um, Johnny Cash. Johnny oh, Cash. Johnny. <laughs> but he says, like, people ask him, like, why do you play your, why are your songs so slow? And he's like, well, you can't play them any faster. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, sometimes your limitations are what make them work. So my, I, I'm not a graphic designer. Like, I'm not trained in that way. I just I just figured it out with computers, you know, computers. Yep. So yes. I know how to make a gradient with a line and a color, and they work. So. Cool. It works. Now, just remind everyone out there in Radio Land, Shem, uh, when was Viscount looking to theoretically hopefully get to people's front doors. So we, we always give it a buffer. So we said December, but it's more likely September, October. Okay. That's cool. No, that's that's grand and that's that's always good to see. And like you said, um Shelf Stacker as well, which is on Kickstarter at the moment. How is that going? Good. That was I was like nervous for them. Um it's not it's just my name in the box, nothing else. So I if it had flopped, I would have been felt pretty stink as a designer like that. Oh, sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were I guess they were kind of banking on on my followers getting it even though it's a very different game than my other games yeah uh, but it's it funded with, on the first day so that's a well, huge relief that's that's fantastic it's all about those first couple of days otherwise the the project sort of goes into kickstarter obscurity until maybe the last day or so so look shem um we've got to wrap this up before we do can you please give yourself a shout out on any socials that you'd like our listeners to be aware of oh i don't know just you can find me on uh, on facebook instagram twitter um, it's usually always at Garfield or Garfield Game, Garfield Games. Um, Garfield.com is our site. You can find all the links there. Yeah, fantastic. So, look, thanks so much, Shem, for your time. It's been really appreciated from our little island to yours. Congratulations on, you know, consistent, high performing games from a design point of view and obviously from a marketing and financially hopefully successful point of view for you so we have been big fans of your games for years and years and, and we really appreciate you spending the time with us tonight oh thanks appreciate that excellent so leon we are about to wrap this up for yet another week is there anything you would like to end with well obviously we've got all our socials and stuff but everybody knows that by now but Keep in mind as well, everybody out there that listens, you know that we've had our competitions running for the last couple of months and we're not stopping anytime soon. So there's one up at the moment, which by the time this episode comes out, will be over. That's for Imaginarium. And we've had some awesome entries for that one. 
very, very happy with that. So by the time this episode's up, we will probably be on our competition for Newton. So if you want to get a sealed copy of that delivered to your front door anywhere in Australia, or New Zealand for that fact, I'd, I'd happily send it to New Zealand. I don't mind at all. Shem well, clearly doesn't like buying games. He's asking for his mates to buy them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yes, no. So that is another competition we're going to have. So just check out our socials for the stuff on that. All you need to do is take a fun little photo and send it our way. And as always, we are brought to you by our good friends at LFG. Check them out at lfg-aus.com.au to buy all these games, much like all of Shem's games. Get them into your house, get them played and get them kept. Anything else, Garthy boy? Nah, I got to go and do some other stuff now. But thank you very much, Ian Shem. Thanks, Leon. We've got to play some games again soon. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Yes. Bye. Yes, play some games with physical, actual people, but make sure that you're safe and happy while you're doing it. Goodbye, everybody. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their flagship events LFG Sydney and LFG Essen Unplugged, as well as their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicebencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.